Hey, Cloudcast listeners. Before we get to the show, we want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Datadog. You already know that Datadog is a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. But did you know that Datadog is great for your Kubernetes environment as well? Datadog's new cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you're already collecting with Datadog. To start monitoring your Kubernetes clusters, Sign up today by going to datadog.com slash cloudcast. Sign up for a free 14-day trial. Try out Datadog with your Kubernetes clusters and get a free t-shirt. So if you want to get more better performance, better visibility out of your Kubernetes environment, go to datadog.com slash cloudcast and try out a free 14-day trial and get your free Datadog t-shirt. And now onto the show. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're going to be wrapping up our look ahead shows with this week's show. And, uh, you know, before we get to that, we want to get to some cloud news of the week. And, you know, we're a little bit surprised the year has really started off fast with in terms of a lot of announcements, a lot of acquisitions, a lot of investment, maybe more so than we thought for 2019. So we want to make sure that we keep you up to date on what's going on with that. So uh, real quick, let's start with uh, IBM. IBM had uh, announced good earnings, sort of first good earnings in a while for IBM. Uh, but not to dive into that too much, they actually had two fairly interesting announcements. The first one was with Vodafone. Uh, they signed a deal to join forces with Vodafone uh, partnership arrangement um, to manage uh, you know, accessing cloud via 5G. So sort of an interesting space to watch as 5G expands. Uh, and maybe we start to see some interesting partnerships between uh, the 5G providers. So uh, Vodafone or Verizon or AT&T or any of those uh, with the, the the large five or six cloud providers. So uh, we'll put that in the show notes. IBM uh, doing a, a partnership deal with Vodafone. Uh, IBM also doing a partnership deal with Juniper. So uh, this is going to be around helping to do networking between uh, public and private clouds, hybrid cloud deals. Um, IBM doesn't really have a direct uh, networking play uh, in terms of technology they own. So partnering with Juniper uh, around that space. So a couple of interesting things from IBM to sort of kick off this week. Um, the next one on the list was Travis CI, which for those of you that are in the CI CD space or um, you know use CI CD, you're building out pipelines and so forth. Uh, they were acquired by a company called Idera. Um, so Travis CI um, getting acquired by Idera, um, kind of trying to expand out what that space looks like in terms of um, it's not just CI, it's a bunch of other tools around that. And I think this makes sense. We've seen, uh, you know, Git and GitLab make some, uh, GitHub and GitLab make some big announcements. Um, the CI CD space is obviously consolidating and people uh, like Alassian and others are really um, doing some work around what does the entire developer experience look like. So uh, Travis CI getting acquired by Idera. The next one, which sort of big news, uh, was a uh, company called Cloud, uh, company called Confluent, uh, who are the creators of the Kafka uh, streaming database, streaming technologies, um, took a big round of funding, $125 million in VC funding uh, for a $2.5 billion valuation. So uh, Kafka growing very, very quickly and uh, very interesting to see this uh, announcement made, um, especially after uh, Amazon announced a managed offering for Kafka um, at reInvent this year. So, um, you know, again, people can can do some homework on what that means, but uh, definitely interesting given, um, you know, what's going on in both the open source world and concerns about Amazon taking those that business as managed services and so forth. So uh, congratulations to Confluent for the, uh, the new round of funding. 
Uh, next one on the list was Microsoft acquired a company called Citus Data. Citus Data is uh, most well known for being uh, in the open source space, but really focused on the Postgres uh, database. So uh, Postgres SQL database. Um, again, Microsoft trying to up their uh, credibility in the open source space, uh, really trying to focus on, um, you know, database migrations and so forth. So uh, interesting acquisition. This will be part of uh, Azure services in the future. And then finally, one that I thought was sort of interesting, um, both Intel and Alibaba got together uh, with the uh, 2020 Olympics coming to Tokyo, the Summer Olympics coming to Tokyo. Um, Alibaba and uh, and Intel got together. They're doing some work around 3D-powered athlete tracking technology. So this is something that's going to be part of um, I'm sure the, the online experience, possibly the, the television viewing experience. So sort of a uh, tracking of athletes, uh, 3d level tracking. So not just, you know, speed and so forth, but I assume we're going to see some pretty interesting, uh, biometrics and so forth around this. So interesting, um, combination between cloud providers and technology providers around a incredibly visible event in the Olympics. And, uh, we'll see where that technology, um, partnership goes for things outside of the Olympics. So with that, I'm going to wrap that up. Uh, we really like to thank Liquid Technology for sponsoring this week's Cloud News of the Week. So if your company is upgrading, uh, planning on migrating to the cloud, upgrading infrastructure, or relocating your IT hardware, definitely give Cloud Technology uh, Cloud Last suite of services a look. It helps organizations move to the cloud. The service team will derack, pack, and purchase your XX technology hardware. So why not increase your budget by getting money back for your XS IT equipment? Also, Liquid Technology will ensure that your company's data is safe. They provide on- or off-site auditable data destruction services. Whether your operations are in Ashburn or Amsterdam or somewhere in between, Liquid Technology has expert knowledge in local regulations to deliver a compliant international solution to your company. Liquid Technology is EPA-recognized, dual-certified green recycler. So if you want to check it out, go to cloudlast.co slash cloudcast today, sign up, Uh, for the service, and you'll win a CloudLast t-shirt, and one lucky winner will receive a $100 Amazon gift card. That's cloudlast.co slash cloudcast. With that, we're going to get to our interview. Today's show is going to be about serverless, and it's going to be the last in our 2019 look-aheads. Hope you enjoy it. Let's get to that show. Okay, and we're back. It is the last of our segments that we're doing on these sort of very domain-specific topics. And today we're going to talk about serverless, which seems to still be everybody's favorite topic that we're not exactly sure. You know, all the parts that work, it sounds fantastic. It sounds like it's going to sort of solve every problem we have. It's going to be incredibly inexpensive. And so we thought we would go back to our really probably our favorite serverless friend, kind of the man who not coined the, <laughs> not coined the term serverless, but coined the term Jeff, which is really kind of apropos because it still does help us sort of explain what's a little bit complicated. So Paul Johnson, welcome back to the show. Great to have you back on the show. And good to be back. Thank you very much. Um, so for folks who are newer to the show and may not have heard, you were on a little little more than a year ago. We, we spoke to you down yep. at Serverless Conf um, uh, down in Austin, Texas. Um, you were, at the time, you were CTO of a small company who had sort of built everything around serverless. Um, so first off, give folks a little bit of your background who, who don't know who you are, um, but also just kind of give us a sense of some of the things you've been working on for the last, I don't know, six, eight months around the serverless space. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so back then, that was oh, uh, mid-2017. That was, it was a while back now. Um, so yeah, I was a CTO of a startup back then. Um, and since uh, the company decided to go in a slightly different direction, so I moved on from that company and um, 
did a bit of consulting, and then uh, AWS came calling. Um, and when AWS come calling, you, you tend to listen to them. Uh, they hired me as their senior developer advocate for um, serverless, uh, which was a, a role I really enjoyed um, for um, a good few months. Uh, and, uh, you know, for, for many different reasons, which I won't necessarily go into, um, uh, you know, I loved working with the guys there, Chris Munns, Jay Nair, um, all of those guys there, love them to bits, but it just, it just didn't work for me. Um, and I know that Chris is still looking for uh, someone to go and work with him, or I think more than one person to go and work with him. So if you, if you think that kind of a role is interesting, then I'd get in touch. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've moved on from there uh, in the summer last year, and uh, I've been looking at um, uh, starting a couple of startups. So one of which uh, I looked at was in the serverless tooling space, and I kind of explored that a little bit. Not sure what's going to be happening there. Probably not going to be doing anything there. And I'm also now looking at something in the um, using the serverless skills that I've got and the technology and understanding that I've got, uh, looking at something more in the renewable energy space. So, you know, a little bit, um, little bit different, but uh, using my technology skills still. Oh, that's, and then, the, go ahead, yeah, Paul. Yeah, go ahead. and then, and then uh, you know, I'm always kind of on the lookout at the moment for a bit of consulting work and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it's bits bits and pieces rather than anything particularly specific in the last few months. Yeah. So that's super interesting, especially the energy space, but so let's kind of step back real quickly. Um, mm-hmm. Cause you know, we, we talk about Jeff and that tends to be an inside joke in the industry, but, but also because it has been a, a while since we have spoken. So let's kind of maybe start at the start a little bit and then we'll move on to what's going ahead. You know, the, there's always some things that still to this day seem to confuse people. Right. And, and yeah. even something as simple as the definition. Right. <laughs> and yes. so what is like you hear serverless thrown around and then you hear functions as a service thro- thrown around. And, and so let's start there. What is the actual differences, if any, and, and how are how do you define this space right now? So it, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really big topic and it's a, a big bone of contention uh, across the space. So you have all of these different providers talking about, well, our thing, whatever that thing is, is serverless. And it's a big buzzword that people have jumped on. And so you, you have all of these problems of defining what serverless is. And a lot of people take it to mean it's just functions. Um, and so there's one thing that's worth saying is that um, the, the function as a service uh, provision is a real enabler. It's actually probably the biggest enabler for serverless applications. Uh, but simply using functions doesn't make something serverless. So just building something on top of a functions platform doesn't give you a serverless application. It's quite a, a nuanced way of thinking about it. So you, just because you're using functions doesn't make it serverless. Um, but in terms of a definition, I came up with one late 2017 that's kind of stuck around quite uh, quite well, and I still use it now. Um, in terms of uh, what serverless is, and a serverless solution is one that costs you nothing to run if nobody is using it. And and I use it as um, an economic uh, definition rather than a technological one, which is, I think, quite important so that it, it stops you going, well, our technology is serverless, because you can then step away and go, well, actually, if 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 nobody's using it, does it scale to zero and cost you nothing to run? And of course, we're excluding data storage costs here. So you know, if you're run, if you're storing data somewhere, then you you always have to you have to pay for that in some form. 
Um, but essentially, if you can scale it to zero and then scale it to however large it needs to go, then uh, then you you essentially have the idea of of a of a serverless um, application. And the scale to zero would essentially have zero cost for running it. Yeah. So you can't have a server running because that's essentially you're going to be paying for idle when no one's using it. So that's the idea of it. And yeah. and the other part of it is is that the uh, application would essentially look the same when uh, one person go- when it goes from zero to one person as it would from uh, a million to a million and one person. So the the idea would be that you know the scaling is essentially immaterial. It's just the same application all the way through. So it's that idea of what um the the idea of what a serverless application is so i'm um, kind of not really talking about what the difference between serverless and functions is yet so we could go into that a little bit more deeply yeah do you do you get are you we're starting to see you know some of the cloud providers will talk about some of their their other services as serverless so the you know the big mm-hmm. one the big one lately has sort of been around databases so you know amazon will call like yeah. aurora a serverless database i know google likes to say that some of their data services are serverless and and, and that tends to be more like there's no distinct operation that has to happen that will do that scaling function does, does yeah. that does, I mean, to me, that concept is, uh, you know, like on the ops side, it sort of sounds serverlessy. But does that seem to tend to confuse the conversation? Does that frustrate the serverless community, or are they sort of going, "Yeah, that's kind of a natural extension of what we're talking about"? S- sort of, um, and I think you have to look at it from um, an operational perspective here. So there's there's two parts. And I think there's the uh, the serverless compute and the serverless data. And I think if you separate those two things out, you, you can have a slightly different conversation about what is serverless. Um, so the serverless compute, I think, is actually a relatively easy conversation. That's functions. Uh, and that's the easy bit. But the serverless data part of it is actually a whole lot more complicated. Um, and I think what uh, a lot of the cloud providers are now talking about is a spectrum in terms of a um, an operational perspective, in terms of how your how you approach whether or not something is serverless, so something is essentially more serverless or less serverless, and that's essentially talking about how much more or less uh, ops you have to do to manage that data store. Um, so something like S three is essentially very very low operational storage and can still be used as a as some kind of data store whereas something like a you know a very high um high management capability you know something you need to manage a lot of uh would be would be very different so you might look at you know something like mysql on an ec2 instance would be not at all serverless do you know what i mean it's a very different have you'd have to manage an awful lot at that point so that's not serverless at all whereas if you used rds then you you you've got more serverless. So, but then you get Aurora serverless and then you've got, you know, what, how serverless is that? So I think you end up having more of a spectrum conversation at that point. But I think that kind of, within the context of the serverless community that's grown up around things like um, what was JeffConf and is now serverless days, um, and within the conversations we're having, I think most would look at uh, something like um, DynamoDB, which is a fully managed database service, and look at that as a 
serverless data store because now that you've got um, uh, fully managed auto scaling, that's essentially you don't even need to touch the data store and it gives you rapid uh, ability to retrieve and uh, uh, write data. So you, you don't even have to think about it. You just turn it on and it's it's available to you and it works. And you've got something like, um, uh, and I'm using uh, AWS really as a proxy for the rest of the market, but if you've got something like um, Athena, which is incredibly good at storing data, but you're not having to run any servers, so you're not having to manage any actual servers. Athena does a very good job of giving you quick not necessarily performance data, but quick data, SQL queries on stored data, and all you get paid for is the amount of data you're querying over, and it's just on demand. So you're, again, you're coming back to this, it's on demand. It's not, you're not paying for idle. So that's a data, a serverless data store. And that's what, what you end up getting, uh, getting back to as being important when you're talking about serverless applications. So I think what we're going to end up with over time is an understanding that serverless is, is a, is it, it is about that not managing something that lower and lower and lower ops idea although i just don't like calling it no ops because that you still have to understand your operations from the point of view of things like deployment and things like uh, infrastructure and understanding of infrastructure so it's it's no ops doesn't work but it's understanding each aspect of the application and it's minimizing the operation to each point yeah no i like i like well, that i like that go ahead Brian. no go ahead aaron uh, all i was going to simply say was that that seems to further bring the conversation because you know a lot of the technical folks we 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 like to consider everything binary right it's it's yeah. using a term like serverless or or using the term like no ops it's either this thing or it's that thing and you're very much talking about spectrums here and 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 gray areas and gradients and um and that that helps us get kind of focused on the important parts of things um but then we've also seen you on social media at times um really talk about when you move to serverless mm -hmm. infrastructure really just becomes a rounding error. So walk us through some of the economics you've seen, either your personal things or projects you've seen or projects you've consulted with. And, and, and how do you have this concept of, you know, profitable software? Like how do you approach something like that? Yeah. Uh, the, the first and the simplest thing to say is that when we were um, running Movivo, we had two people uh, running the back end. I was the CTO. So I counted as the third person when I was needed, although I wasn't needed that much. Um, and we had half a million monthly active users using our Android app, which was backed by AWS Lambda, API Gateway, um, S3, Athena, DynamoDB. Um, and we had all of that. And we had a monthly AWS bill of um, just over $300 a month. So we were, we were essentially creating a, um, a system that could look after itself, could scale up and down from zero to whatever we needed to half a million monthly active users, and it cost us almost nothing. Um, what most people don't see, grasp from this, all they're doing is going, well, I understand how to run servers, and I understand how to run containers, and I understand how to push infrastructure up. But what they don't do is they go, they don't go, well, once we've pushed this up, what happens next? What, what, is the, what does it look like when you've been running this for a year or for two years? 
And what they don't see is that that simplicity of, well, I'm not having to manage. I'm not having to upgrade servers. I'm not having to do security patches on something. I'm not having to work out how something interacts with something else or I can't upgrade to this, so I've got to manage that. Um, you know, all of those other things that come with running often open source software, which I find often very um, difficult to uh, understand sometimes. Um, and, and those things are um, often headcount problems. So you often need, a, you know, people to do those things. And often when people are looking at their, you know, one, two, three, five-year budgets for managing a piece of software, they're looking at the software and the infrastructure costs, and they're going, well, we're going to have to run, you know, 10, 10 instances, or it's going to scale up to, you know, you know x is going to scale up to you know 40 people or we're expecting 2 million users over the lifetime you know of this project so i know we're going to need n servers plus you know 40 percent uh, as a as an approximation of scaling um so do you know what i mean the 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 numbers are all based upon the infrastructure often and then they go, right, and to manage that, we're going to need, uh, you know, one person who understands this, which means we're going to need another person so we don't have a bus number of one. And, you know, bus numbers are, you know, so that if we, if someone, you know, one person goes under a bus, they you don't lose all that knowledge is basically what it is. Uh, you know, so that you don't lose someone and then, you know, they walk off to another company and take all the knowledge of how a system's run. So you, you have all of these considerations that you have to have within, a, within an organization when you're running software. And serverless takes those considerations and actually removes an awful lot of those problems, especially if you build applications to the point of, um, you know, trying to do things like one function does one thing. Um, because all, and not and functions not calling other functions, because what you do is you decouple the entire system. You use the infrastructure to start managing um, how you interact around your application. And the infrastructure becomes the application. And the costs start reducing significantly. You know, that whole $300 a month figure and the two-person headcount for half a million users, uh, monthly active users, not just number of users and not many of them are using. This is active users you end up looking at it going, well, I, I don't know any other companies that are doing that. You know, that size of database on, you know, a Postgres database running in front of servers or containers, you're looking at thousands of dollars a month, minimum probably, just to make sure that it's not going to fall over, let alone what happens if it scales rapidly at some point. So you end up with this, you end up with this point where you look at the infrastructure and go, well, $300 a month is... It's a rounding error. It's not a problem. I, I don't worry. And I never worried as a CTO at that point about um, the cost of my infrastructure. And having been at uh, AWS and having talked to an awful lot of organizations through my role there, and since then having talked to a number of companies, uh, I think I've probably come across two where I've seen someone build a serverless application. Um, uh, uh, there have been a couple of times where they've been badly architected, where they just needed re-architecting and they would have got it better. But I think I've only ever seen two times where a well-architected serverless application 
has actually been uh, has actually cost more and cost more in terms of headcount and, and you know and, and people um, than would have been uh, and so it would have been better to have built it in terms of containers or instances or some kind of you know you know own hardware on top of a uh, on top of you know in their own data and that's across all of the things that i've seen the majority of cases it's just essentially a rounding error it's just so much better financially for the company and for everybody else so uh, does that does that answer the question it's it's absolutely yeah that's perfect yeah. So you run, uh, you run an event called serverless days. Um, you know, you were, like yep. you said, you were at AWS, you've been around enough beyond just your direct work to kind of talk to a lot of different people in, in and around the community. Um, do you find that, that most of the folks today using serverless tend to skew towards new applications or, or are you seeing people augment existing types of applications uh, with some aspect of serverless to, to help it scale. And, and the reason I ask that is, um, you know, I, I get a chance to talk to a lot of different companies and there is this, there is this one conversation thread that comes up a lot where people get enamored with the idea of, you know, I don't want to manage data centers anymore. Uh, I don't want to have to think about scaling. So a lot of those things that you talked about of like, you know, I don't want kind of ongoing operations, but they have it in mind that just they're going to pick up whatever existing application they have and just sort of throw it over the wall on Lambda and they'll just get all these benefits. And and th- that I don't, I haven't seen as many of them, but I'm curious in you talking to different people in the community, do you see much of kind of modernization around serverless or is it more you know new and greenfield around serverless? So it's... Um... Oh, there, there are two types of people, um, and there are those that get it, and they tend to then go right. Everything is going towards or onto Lambda, um, and their approach will generally be right. You know, over the next period of time, everything is going to Lambda, or or actually not just Lambda, but other cloud providers as well. You know, we're going to go serverless with everything. It is appropriate. And so what they will do is anything new, they will essentially take a serverless, serverless first approach. Um, and so they will, they will essentially look at a project and go, is this, how can we go serverless with this? And then take that approach and take it forwards. And then everything new within an organization, it's like, how, can, we, can we make this more serverless as we go forward? So that's generally the first approach. And that's not that many at the moment, but that's um, a lot of organizations and, and a, a number of startups, but not that many either. The majority are still um, dipping their toes in, I think. Um, the greatest take-up is more in um, it's a good idea and uh, I like it, but, um, and whatever the but is, it doesn't matter. They generally have some kind of complaint. Um, and so often those kind of organizations will go towards containers in some form. Um, and actually, that's, that's been an interesting uh, conversation with a number of people because, because there aren't that many people that can uh, consult on serverless applications. It's not that huge a community yet. So, um, but there are an awful lot of people that can consult on uh, the container side of things, on the open source software that's around. And so a lot of certainly enterprise level organizations feel a lot more comfortable going, 
It's absolutely fine. Uh, we know that if this goes wrong, we can hire an organization or a, or a consultancy and they've got three people, four people, five people who've got Kubernetes people who can come in and help us fix this. And so we've got this, uh, there's a certain amount of that going on, but they will often um, dip their toes in to serverless by doing something like, um, well, it's fine, we'll use it for, we'll, we'll replace some of our cron jobs with some kind of ETL. You know, we'll do some ETL, um, put an ETL pipeline. We might use uh, something like Glue. Uh, we might use, uh, we might just put a few Lambda functions that'll do some data processing in some form, or um, we'll put some form processing for a website, a simple static website uh, behind API Gateway somewhere. Or, you know, th- there's a few, they, they will dip their toes in. And there are good and bad things about that. And what they generally find is that it's really cheap, um, but often they will build something and forget about it. And then they will end up with, with problems later down the road where they just don't know how to build on top of it. Um, so so there, are, there are organizations that will approach this in different ways. I'm not, I'm not, I think I've kind of gone off on a slight tangent there. I mean, <laughs> did, you, did you want to kind of come back with a few questions? I'm kind of... No, I'll get... Well, so I'm, I'm going to... I'll flip it to technology just for yeah. a second. Yeah. Um, at, at this point, I think it's pretty safe to say AWS Lambda is clear leader in this space. And, you know, why do you think it seems like so many of the other cloud offerings are so far behind? Is it is it just the they announced it first? Like, help us out a little bit with why Lambda almost became synonymous with the term serverless. <sighs> Um, uh, there's a part of me that has some, uh, uh, I I find this quite a difficult one to answer. Oh, Um, this is interesting. (laughs) It's partly partly because I have a very strong opinion on why I think AWS is, is winning this and winning it very, very clearly. Um, and, and the, the strength of my opinion comes from having been on the inside um, and, and I'm not giving anything away, I don't believe, um, in any of this opinion. So I'm quite happy to share it. Uh, I just think that the other cloud providers don't fully understand Lambda. And I don't think they fully understand what Lambda is. I think they understand what running code is in terms of um, Lambda's execution model and running code in the way that Lambda runs code. But the real key difference between the majority of other cloud providers and Lambda is that Lambda has, uh, I think they announced they've got 47 different event sources for AWS Lambda within the ecosystem. There's 47 different ways that you can trigger um, a function to run by doing things like adding a record into a database or pushing a file into S3 or authorizing a new user or using an Alexa skill or all of these various different mechanisms that um, without you having to think about the mechanism, you can get from one state to another in an application without having to code it. So you end up with this situation where your infrastructure becomes your application. And when you look at the other cloud providers' Um, approaches to application development, they're still very, very code driven. And I think you end up with this, you end up with this understanding that AWS's approach to applications is 
is essentially pushing the whole um, ecosystem, its whole development environment towards we want you to run your your whole application in infrastructure. And when you look at something like Azure, and when you look at something like uh, GCP and Google, and you look at IBM, you look at the way that they do it, and they're still stuck in a, well, we want you to run your code on our systems. And I think that's that's the fundamental problem, which is that until you step back and go, okay, we don't want you just to run code. We want you to run applications on infrastructure. Until you change that process, until you change that mindset, then the other providers will still be behind. And I don't think it will be enough for them to just catch up. I think the other providers need to need to overtake to start making ground. Because I, don't, I think AWS will continue to walk away with this and they will walk away happily for the next 10 years um, and I think we'll be talking about second place. And I think, and that's, there's, there's a part of me that says that with a, with a, um, a slightly heavy heart, because actually I think AWS could do with the competition. So there's a, there's an awful lot in that. Um, and you know, you, you look at what AWS announced at reInvent around Lambda um, something like, you know, you look at Firecracker, you look at um, Layers, you look at uh, Bring Your Own Runtime, and all of those things essentially were um, things that the other providers um, don't have. Bring Your Own Runtime is a slightly different one, but um, the other providers don't have those capabilities in the same way as Lambda does. And I think you just you just see the iterations happening within lambda and they're happening they're going to happen more and more quickly and when those when it starts happening more quickly and over the next year if we don't see another one of the cloud providers really stepping up within this space i think the serverless space will be lost to aws interesting interesting yeah and 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 again like like you mentioned you were you were there for a little while you're not really giving away any sort of internal secrets it's it's more of a you know having just been around the community and live with it Um, let me ask sort of one final question because I want to be conscious mm-hmm. of time. Um, just at a, at a very high level, uh, you know, as you you look at what you've done with the technology, you look at what the community is doing, what are, what are some of those things that you think today are, are working very well? You know, what, what part of, say, the technology stack or the understanding works really well? And then maybe what are a couple of things that you think – um, you know, still have a, a decent way to go. Like you mentioned, you know, you looked into some of the the tooling spaces, observability, mm-hmm. security. You know, what, what are what are some of the the highs and lows, or sort of you know, goods and bads as you look out into you know where we are today in 2019 <laughs> and then going forward. So, I think what's working well. I think we're beginning to start getting our heads around some of the best practices. I think we, uh, and that's not because I've written a best practice blog post that people like. I think um, we as a community are starting to coalesce uh, around some of these ideas. Um, I think the serverless days community is growing. There are something like eight serverless days uh, happening between um, uh, the beginning of 2019 and the end of April. I think there are five in the US or something ridiculous. And there are, you know, this is um, this is a conference that started from um, a mad idea in April 2017 and has turned into, um, you know, community conferences everywhere. And we don't we don't run them. They're locally, locally led and locally run. 
Um, so I think the community is beginning to grow. The community is beginning to find its feet and start having a voice. So I think that's one thing that's really good. Um, and it's starting to to decide what it wants to be and the kind of um, direction it wants to go in. So I think that's that's one area that's working really well. I think there are some some really interesting companies that are coming through um, that are looking uh, like um, doing some really interesting things in the observability space and the monitoring space. So I think those those areas are pretty um, pretty well catered for. Um, I think in terms of what things that are complicated and missing uh, in terms of the tool set and in terms of what the community thinks is, is probably missing, I think we have properly um, looked at the areas of managing the application as a whole. When you move from the idea of uh, code as application to infrastructure as application, then your idea of what a deploy is changes because your application is not code, your application is infrastructure, then a deploy changes. And if you decouple everything, then your deploy changes. You do atomic deploys in a very different way. So you end up with this idea of what, how do you do deployment? Do you deploy separately elements um, in different ways? Do you deploy the whole thing like you would with something like... Um, a container? Do you deploy? Uh, does it matter if you deploy in different ways? So I think we've, we've got a conversation going on around deployment that still hasn't happened. And that will then, you know, go on and change into the world of um, CI, and CD, and all of those parts, because we we will impact into that world as well. And that, you know, that comes back into, um, you know, changing the mindset of of the ops and the DevOps world as well. And I think we will start to um, start to change the mindsets of people there as well. And I think we, we're starting to um, have an impact in, in lots of different parts of, of technology. And, and I think that's what's going to start to be an interesting trend to see in 2019, that serverless isn't going to just be a, a development thing. It's going to start to be a... Uh, a an architectural pattern that starts to supersede just um, just developers and or DevOps or or you know microservices. It's going to start to be a well. Actually, we're we're almost cloud two point I think that's what's going to be an interesting thing to see over the next over the next year or two because I think that's where we need to go with it. I think it it you know it's that whole thing of on-demand distributed computing which is essentially what it is which is where we're going to end up going with uh with this but we we're we're missing the tools to be able to do that so i think that's what that's the kind of things we're going to end up needing uh, and i think that's probably where we're going to end up going yeah makes perfect sense and and real quick for everyone mm -hmm. we'll just kind of close it out from here i i if you are local to Hamburg, Austin, Boston, Amsterdam, Atlanta, Zurich, or New York City, um, there will be uh, serverless days coming up in your area. So certainly um, take a look at the website, which Definitely. is serverlessdays.io. And, and Paul, where can everyone find out more about you, follow you, reach out to you, etc.? So I'm on Twitter uh, as uh, Paul D. Johnston and Medium as Paul D. Johnston. Best places to find me. 
Yeah, very good, very good. Paul, it's always good to, to catch up with you. Folks, one last thing before we wrap up, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, about two weeks, two and a half weeks until we do the Krispy Kreme run. Um, as always, we're, we're raising funds this year. We're about 65% of our goal. If you are interested in, in you know just kind of helping out the Cloudcast community, being part of it, helping some kids here in North Carolina and their families that need some help, uh, the link is always off of the cloudcast.net in the upper right-hand corner, or if you go to our Twitter page, you'll find it in the bio. But uh, Paul, thank you again for being on today. It's great to kind of, it's great to catch up. Aaron, I think uh, this gives us some ideas for things to cover for 2019 around the serverless space. So gentlemen, both of you, it's always great to talk to you. It's great to have you both on today. Um, as always, folks, we're glad to bring this to you. Uh, we hope you enjoyed today's show and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 